What is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court. Today, I am joined by my rock in life, my my absolute other half, my Marquette masculine man, my my uh, Marquette Dirk Nowitzki, as I called him last week, my dear friend, companion, Troy Sergi. Troy, how are you doing today, man? It's so good to see you. That's a lot of names, Sean, but yes, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing great. I thought, you know what? I thought... I thought whatever I could throw in your direction, because I could come up with all these ideas of like what in the world to call you. I'm like, I'm just going to rapid fire and see what sticks. You know what I mean? And I thought that was pretty good. I thought I thought I gave you a good selection. It went fine. It went fine, Sean. We love it. Oh, man. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you love it. By the way, real quick, um, we'll talk about this more later on. Um, Have you been watching any international basketball by chance? Have you been tuning in or have you just been watching highlights? Uh, pretty much just highlights, but I uh, watched the USA game. I uh, watched a little bit of uh, the Spain game as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've seen some highlights. I know what's going on. I you know seen, uh, Evan Fournier. I know, I know all the jazz. Did you see Luka Doncic put up 48 points? I did. I did. It was wild. I saw his step back from the left corner. That looked pretty good um, the other night on the highlights. Yeah, we're going to have to get to that in a little bit because that's definitely something I want to talk about. Um, another thing real quick that we should probably mention at some point of the show, um, a big development since we last recorded, we have an NBA champion, Troy. We do. We sure do. Yeah, Forgot about that. It's yeah, been so we, uh, long. <laughs> yeah. Last, last time we, we, uh, we had an episode, it came out as a recording, um, the day that it all went down. And, uh, if, uh, if you're somehow living under a rock or if for some um, God forsaken reason you listen to a basketball podcast and don't know what happened in the finals. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks came out and uh, had the opportunity to close it out on their home court on game six. And they, uh, they did it. And it was backed by Giannis scoring 50 points. Um, perhaps in not even perhaps to me, the greatest closing a series performance of all time. Um, absolutely dominant, put the team on his back. If he had anything less than 40 points, we that that series would have gone to game seven, and we could be saying the Phoenix Suns won the championship. Um, but because Giannis went big, he put up 50, um, the Milwaukee Bucks were the ones that took it home, and Giannis won the finals MVP. Uh, Troy, what were you feeling? What, what, like, what, what comes to mind about this Milwaukee Bucks team? And what are you going to remember from these finals? Yeah, lots of different things. Um, of course, that, uh, I guess, big three duo of uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis was a fun fun package to watch. And uh, really, um, you could say this championship kind of came out of nowhere. Not that, we, not that no eyes were on Milwaukee, because, of course, uh, a lot of eyes were on Milwaukee. But, okay, you know, they sweep um, Miami in the first round. Right. Uh, they beat Brooklyn in a very intense overtime game seven uh, for the, the semifinals. And then they beat yeah. the Atlanta Hawks, who really put up a great, great fight, a great run in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they go six games against uh, the Suns. So really just a good run. I think when I think of that Milwaukee team, you know, five, 10 years down the road of the 2021 Milwaukee Bucks, I'm going to think of uh, just the run, just a solid run. I'm going to think of uh, Chris Middleton hitting big shots. 
I'm going to think of Giannis really just being Giannis. I think uh, the past years we've seen him, uh, let's just say maybe choke, but uh, a lot of that is yep. – <laughs> a lot of that was because I think he wasn't in his own comfort zone. He wasn't playing basketball the way Giannis is supposed to be playing. So yeah. uh, the big things, I mean, of course, I'm going to remember the game five steal with Drew Holiday and going up and throwing it to Giannis over Chris Paul. That's going to be as far as a moment that I'm going to think of it. Uh, but I'm also going to think of game seven. I'm going to think of games. I'm sorry, game seven of the, the semifinals against the Nets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that game is going to be in my mind for a lot of this too, is because you know, uh, Chris Milton hit that little probably six-foot shot turnaround. Uh, Giannis had that nice put back. Drew Holiday made a clutch three from the 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 left uh, wing uh, extended, uh, baseline extended. So, yeah, some good shots in game seven, some good plays in game five of the finals. Uh, just a, a very consistent performance from Giannis. I think Giannis was so consistent throughout these playoffs and really stepped up when it matters. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I think basketball is a game of runs uh, as far as just runs and quarters and, and individual games, but also I think it's a run. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's all about runs in, in the playoffs. Momentum is king of basketball, man. And, momentum and, and, is king. And this Milwaukee Bucks had momentum, momentum, momentum throughout the entire playoffs. And uh, yeah. at the end of the day, they got to call themselves champions. So. Yeah. I think I have a couple of things just to bounce off what you said there. So I think, um, I, I think to your point, I think we saw Giannis really come into his own as a star. And right. I think, and I think I, that's, that's one thing too, that I'm going to remember is this finals made Giannis into a star, like, like his own star. I mean, he's always been a star, mm-hmm. but like Giannis onto the is a top three player in this league. Yeah. And yeah, 100%. And I think you could make the legitimate argument, the best player in the league. Yeah. I'm not saying that's my opinion. I'm right. just saying that that, you can argument, make an is, argument. Yeah. that argument is there to be had for sure. And, I and another thing too, I thought of, remember our, our first podcast together back in March, we had a big topic about, uh, you know, how you can be the face of a franchise, but not the best player on a championship team. We talked about that for a little bit. And really we can only name three guys in the league who could do that. And that was mm-hmm. uh, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard, if you remember. Oh, LeBron James too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Giannis guys like Harden and Giannis were not on that list. And I mean, Harden's still not on that list, but Giannis is now, right? Because he, he yeah. Giannis Antetokounmpo can be the best player on any team and win the championship because, because he did that. Yep. And I think to that point, um, Giannis, uh, a, a lot of the talk around Giannis leading up to these playoffs has been about what Giannis could not do in his game. It was about yeah. his shortcomings. It was right. Less, That's big. Was less, That's big, less, Sean. It was less about his greatness, and it was more about what is holding him back. But I think in reality, um, is one of those things that um, he showed, and it, he he learned to hell with that, for lack of better terms, because. The thing is, is that what Giannis does on a basketball court is so all-time elite and is so unstoppable that it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And, like, the thing is, is that um, he's known for his shooting ability for lack thereof, right? He's known for not being able to shoot the three. And the thing is, is that Giannis would often cost – Milwaukee some games unintentionally because he'll go out there he would try and shoot six or seven three-pointers a game and the thing about Giannis is like dude you are unbelievably efficient 
as a scorer when you are in the painted area, when you are inside the two-point line, mm-hmm. inside the three-point line. So why not just do that as much as humanly possible and get, get your teammates open looks for those threes and just play more efficient basketball? Because that was the thing about Giannis is if he just played an efficient game and attacked you in the post, you can't beat him. And the thing is, is when he does hit his free throws, he's especially unbeatable. And so in that game seven, he went 17 of 19 from the three throw line. And that's, that was the difference right there, you know? So I think um, going forward, we have to look very seriously at these Milwaukee, at this Milwaukee Bucks team, especially at Giannis and just say, okay, this team is for real. And I think the second thing, which, which you didn't, I didn't even bring this up. I'm glad you did is that game seven against Brooklyn. Because I think that is another situation where if things just happen a little bit differently, we would be talking about a different champion right now, right? And this isn't discrediting from the Bucks. This is just talking about, for one, how close of a league that we have and two, how quickly things can change in basketball, yeah. right? Because if Kevin Durant's foot was a half of an inch farther behind the three-point line, Brooklyn wins that game. Yes. If he makes that shot and his foot is beyond behind that line, just a sliver more. Kevin Durant is your finals MVP right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'd be talking about how he really carried that Brooklyn team probably on his back to beat Phoenix and how he probably yeah. would have posted at least three or four 50 point games, Sean, mm-hmm. 50 point games, probably mm-hmm. in the finals. Uh, that's what he w- would have had to have done to make, uh, his team win. But another thing too, that I think we really got to really got to remember too, is two times in this playoffs, the Bucks went down 0-2, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. In the second round against Brooklyn, they went down 0-2. They got, Sean, I, I challenge you, if you don't remember, to go back and watch game three's highlights, game three yeah. against the Nets. They got lucky down the last two minutes. I don't yeah. care what anyone says. They got lucky and they won game three. Had they not won game three, no team's ever gone down, uh, came back from all three. So Brooklyn wins that no matter what. So, yeah, you're right. With game seven, a couple of different things going Brooklyn's way, they would have won. But also that game three, man, I I don't want – luck did not carry the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks were a great team. They deserve to be champions. We can't take that away from them. But there were so many things in that Brooklyn series that just went wrong for Brooklyn. And yeah. uh, if you, I can't remember the five, but if you have time, uh, those listening and you, Sean, uh, Stephen A. Smith made a top five reasons the, the Brooklyn Nets lost that series. And it's good. Uh, and his number one was karma, right? Just because of all the chaos yeah. and the, the, the uh, everything with Harden and Kyrie sitting out and mm-hmm. Durant. And, so, yeah, I, Watch that video if you have a chance. Stephen A's top five reasons why the Nets lost. But that that Brooklyn series, I'm going to think about that when I think of the Milwaukee Bucks and, and how they, and they slid by, by. And go ahead. And karma is the reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah. And karma is the reason why the Detroit Pistons have the number one pick. <laughs> yes. I, I'm dead serious. I'm yeah. dead serious. So <laughs> if, I, I am a, I am, if you are not a genuine believer in karma, I challenge you to – uh, look over what is what has transpired over these past months in the game of basketball, and tell me that karma does not exist. Um, 
because man, there are, and this is a whole other topic that we could do. This is a whole other barrel, a bear, a whole other rigmarole that we could go down. But that's gonna have to be saved for another time because this is from Half Court, where each and every week, myself and Troy sit down to talk all things NBA basketball. We love basketball. We're Detroit Pistons fans, die hard, but we also love the NBA. So each and every week you can come to this podcast and you can get your weekly takes on all things NBA basketball. You can follow me on Twitter at Shawnee West 255 and Troy at Troy Sergey 44. Heck yeah. Troy Sergey 44. Uh, if you like the podcast, give us a great rating, share it with your friends, post it on, post the fact that we're on Spotify all that good stuff because the more people that we have in this community, the more people that we have listening, the more crazy stuff we get to do. And that's what I'm looking forward to someday. But that's enough about us because for now it is time that we go. And instead of joining you from half court, we're going to be joining you from Mount Rushmore with Troy. This is a joke name for the segment that I had for Troy because I told Troy, okay, Troy, I want you to have your own segment on my show. I think, I think Troy has earned his own segment on the podcast, and I think it would be great to see Troy's mind just run wild. And Troy's like, I love it. And every idea that he's given me so far, and he's not saying that this is going to be the case, but every idea he's given me has been a Mount Rushmore. And I was like, Troy, are your ideas just Mount Rushmore's? <laughs> 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 but I like this one, so we're going to do it. So Troy, what are we talking about today? All right, Sean, we're going to be talking about our Mount Rushmore of a very unique segment of players. And that is going to be our Mount Rushmore of left-handed players throughout NBA history. Our top four lefties to have played the game uh, in the National Basketball Association. Now, I want to add a quantifier. Go ahead. So, um, and, and I told Troy this right before we aired. So, Troy, his list is going to be his four greatest left-handed players of all time. But my Mount Rushmore is going to be my four favorite. And to me, there's a difference. Yeah, so, there's definitely a difference. Uh, so, Troy, this is your segment. So I would like you to start. Who is the first player on your Mount Rushmore of left-handed players? So I'm going to go a top four order, actually, on my Mount Rushmore. I think in the past we've done this. It's been random, random four. But uh, I'm going to specifically do a top four Mount Rushmore today. All and right. I like it. Number, number four in that list is going to be the great, late, actually not late, he's still alive. Uh, the great <laughs> <laughs> first overall pick in the 1970 NBA draft. It's the last time the Detroit Pistons had the first overall pick before this year, 2021. The great, but not late, Bob, Bob Lanier. Lanier. You got it, Bob Lanier. Um, Bob Lanier played for the Pistons uh, in the early 70s and really was George Yardley in the 1950s was probably your first Pistons superstar, but it's the 1950s, so we're not going to count that. But uh, Bob Lanier was probably your first really good all-star Detroit Piston. Uh, Bob Lanier uh, was a guy who could get you 2020. Uh, nice, nice lefty stroke, nice lefty hook shot. Uh, re- could rebound the basketball, could shoot the mid-range like 
a guard really could. And um, for those seasons he put in Detroit, uh, Bob Lanier ended up getting his jersey, number 16, retired by the Detroit Pistons. And uh, not only that, but midway through his career, Bob Lanier got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And when you walk into Pfizer form in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you look up to the Raptors, you know what you'll see? A number 16 for Bob Lanier. So it's not too often that uh, two different teams retire a jersey. But uh, for, for Bob Lanier, he can say that to be true. And it's interesting, too, Detroit and Milwaukee, two teams who are in the same division, same conference, uh, not too far from each other, just across uh, the pond there, like Michigan. Um, And Bob Lanier has both jerseys retired for both franchises. So Bob Lanier was a guy who really was a great power forward. And in my opinion, before Tim Duncan, uh, before Dirk, you know, David Robinson, all those guys, uh, I don't know. Bob Lanier could be your best point guard in the 19, I'm sorry, best power forward in the 1970s. Um, I, I think I don't, I can't think of another power forward in the 1970s who was better than Bob Lanier. Bob Lanier was just, a great, great all-star level rebounder score. Uh, and he did it all with that left hand. Heck yeah, man. Bob Lanier's a good pick. Now, with my first member of the Sean Murphy left-handed Mount Rushmore of greatness, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the man I affectionately call White Mamba. And I am, of course, going with number two, Joey Ingles. Joe Ingles of the Utah Jazz. (laughs) Yeah. Here's the thing, Troy. Joe Ingles, so fun to watch play basketball because he is an enigma of a human being. Um, Is not athletic at all. He is Australian as all get out. He just loves talking trash. He's a stout defender. He's an underrated playmaker. And my goodness, does he have the most beautiful, ugly-looking three-point shot I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) Joe Ingles is just something else. Uh, I would argue he is – I would argue he is the X factor of the Utah Jazz because Joe Ingles is having a great game on top of Donovan Mitchell, on top of Bogdan Bogdanovich, on top of Mike Conley, on top of Rudy Gobert. That team is almost unstoppable because when he is shooting threes on a streaky basis, it is lights out and good night and nice try. And we'll see you next year. If he's off, uh, they're screwed. And I think um, all joking aside, I think he's a really solid NBA player. Um, He's really fun to watch. And uh, I think he has a lot of great personality and I think is an underappreciated player in the league. I love me some Joy Ingles. So my first player on my Mount Rushmore is Joey Ingles. Troy, I want your un- I want your honest, unfiltered opinion. What do you think of my pick? I mean, it's your fun. It's your favorite. Like, I'm not going to argue with your favorite, Sean. I mean, Joe Ingles is fun to watch. He, he strokes it nice. You know what's fun about Joe Ingles' shot is when he shoots it left hand, his right arm goes so far above what? his head. And it's just, it's so unorthodox. But it's, I love it. It's it, most, it goes in the hoop, doesn't it? And he's in it the league. The most, it is the most beautiful, ugly-looking shot on the face of the planet. It's, it's that, incredible. It's like the Pistons being the best, worst team of all time. It's the prettiest, ugliest <laughs> shot ever. Yes. Yes, it is. 
Oh man. So, I like so, your pick, Sean. I like your yeah, pick. When I was in, uh, when I was a junior in high school, actually, I went to Phoenix, Arizona for spring break. And uh, I went to jazz versus sons with my cousin. And we got down to the court in like an hour and a half before the game started just for warmups and stuff. And Joe Ingles was shooting right uh, on the left corner and I uh, got kind of close to him. So that was kind of cool memory I got of, of Joe Ingles. And, and, and he was still <laughs> on the jazz back then. So he's been, he's been very loyal to that franchise. Uh, so yeah. yeah, Joe Ingles, good what? picture. White Mamba. White Mamba. <laughs> anyway, uh, Troy. All right, go ahead, Troy. What's uh, what's the next member of this list? All right, my second guy on my list, my Mount Rushmore, who's going to be my third on my list of Mount Rushmore, uh-huh. the 57th pick in the 1999 NBA draft, the Emmanuel Manu Ginobili. There he is. Yeah, just a, a champion, man. I mean, what, four or five championships with the Spurs he won? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there from the beginning uh, with that 1999 squad, 1999 2000 squad. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just uh, Manu Ginobili. I mean, he's basketball. And not only is he basketball, he's San Antonio Spurs basketball. When I think of Manu Ginobili, uh, you know, I think he retired in what, 2018? So, an 18 year yeah. career. An 18-year career with one team. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we've all seen that video back in 2009 or whatever, where it was opening night. No, it was Halloween night, which could have been opening night. Um, and a bat got in the San Antonio it's Spurs. down a bat. Yeah, a bat <laughs> somehow got in the San Antonio Spurs arena, and they had to delay the game because a bat was flying around everyone. And it got on the court, and Manu Ginobili just swung his right hand and just killed killed the bat he threw a haymaker man what's that he threw a haymaker oh absolutely Mano Ginobili the bat haymaker (laughs) (laughs) but uh no Mano Ginobili I mean he's a champion great player he could get you 15 any night any night Mano Ginobili could get you 15 points um it was kind of a sad day for basketball when Manu retired I thought um just a guy that made the NBA fun a guy that had fun playing a guy that was fun to watch a guy that was just good at basketball he played basketball very smartly I mean he was played for the Spurs so he had to with that offense with Greg Popovich Mm -hmm. but uh I I can't dispute anything about Manu Ginobili I have nothing bad to say about Manu Ginobili besides the 2005 NBA finals but uh yeah yeah Manu Ginobili anything anything you want to say about Manu over a thousand games at the Spurs Averaged yeah. 13 points a game, was a four-time NBA champion, two-time NBA All-Star, also earned sixth man of the year in 2008. Um, stout defense, amazing shooting ability, underrated score, all-around high-character guy, mm-hmm. and exemplified everything that the San Antonio Spurs were. Manu yep. Ginobili is always going to be an all-time favorite player for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but because he's on your list, he cannot be on my list. So <laughs> with that, um, I'm going to take a total curveball, and you are not going to guess who my next guy is on my list. I probably right. won't, Sean. Are you ready? I'm ready. My next player on the Sean Murphy Mount Rushmore of left-handed players of the Chicago Bulls, number seven, Tony Kukoc. I'm going with the man, the myth, the coach. Man, <laughs> Tony Kukoc, what a guy, man. He, so his career has just an interesting direct trajectory. I mean, like, like first of all, three-time NBA champion, 
one time six man of the year winner at one point was considered uh, by uh, Jerry Krause, former GM of the Chicago Bulls to be the heir apparent in the, the next star of the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan um, had a lot of tense feelings. And, and there was like a unspoken rivalry between Coach and uh, Jordan and Rodman. If you watch the mm-hmm. last dance documentary, um, there is a scene where they recall when they played an international play and how Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen made it a mission to make Tony Kukoc's yeah. night a living hell. And, but this Tony Kukoc guy, uh, despite everything he faced against Jordan and Pippen, um, came over to the Bulls. He played an absolutely uh, pivotal part in the second three-peat and was just a dazzling scorer, um, had the ability to pass the ball, um, he was just kind of like that, like uh, prototypical European player of the time, where mm-hmm. you know he couldn't yeah. really do a whole lot, like physically, but just like the finesse that he had and the overall just skill that he had with the basketball, just made him an absolutely fun player to watch. So uh, Tony Kukoc is second on my list. Yeah, what do you think Tony, Tony Kukoc, Kukoc, the Last Dance uh, thing you brought up, that was awesome. That was mm-hmm. awesome when uh, Jordan. Jordan told uh, the Team USA guys, Scotty and I got Ku coach. Scotty mm-hmm. and I got Ku coach because uh, what's what was the, the GM of the Bulls at the time in the 90s, Sean? I forgot his name. Jerry Krause. Yeah, Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause basically had it. I mean, he drafted what, Tony Ku coach? And, and basically, he was kind of uh, the heir apparent. He, like I yeah, said, he was yeah. the heir apparent. He was the next in line. According he was to the next in line Krause, and yeah. Jordan and Scotty did not like that. And they showed him who was boss in that Olympic game. Mm-hmm. And um, just such a great, great part of the last dance documentary that uh, oh, yeah, you man. should watch. That, that was one of my favorites was, was the Tony Ku coach part. So if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched the last dance, shame on you. Yeah. Big Actually time. shame on you. All right. But Tony Ku coach, what a guy. Troy, who's next on your list? All righty. Next on my list, two-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP with the New York Knicks, Willie Reed. Willie Reed. Willie Reed. Just similar to Bob Lanier, but better. Just that 1970s, uh, just beautiful mid-range jumper. Uh, Could get in the post, score in the post for you. Uh, I mean, he won two championships for the Knicks. I mean, you got look at, you know, guys who played with the Knicks over the years. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Patrick Ewing, even like a Carmelo Anthony in recent years, right? Did they take the Knicks to the promised land? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They did not. But Willie Reed sure did. And um, basically, you could put in the, the dictionary of basketball where it says leaves game for injury but then comes back and plays well, a big old picture of Willie Reed on it because Willie Reed in the 1973 NBA finals got injured. And uh, really the whole Knicks organization was scared. All the Knicks fans, everyone who loved the New York Knicks up to that point was scared that, wow, they're going to lose a championship because their best player went down. But then a few minutes later, cameras looked to the locker room and there he was Willie Reed walking into the locker room ready to play hit two huge shots in the fourth quarter and the New York Knicks are forever champions that year because of Willie Reed coming back and Willie Reed doing that you know I think of in game one of the 2008 NBA finals with Paul Pierce going down and Mm -hmm. uh 
can remember and coming back in a wheelchair and then hitting a couple big shots in game one for the Celtics to win. Which by I the think, way, uh, yeah, go ahead. That moment, and I'm and I'm so sorry to interrupt because you were yeah. making a beautiful case for Willie Reed. The fact that Paul Pierce came out on a wheelchair and entered the game again, the fact that that is a monumental piece of, of basketball history. And it's all because he pooped himself. It's just my favorite <laughs> thing. But go ahead, Troy. I apologize. Yeah. Well, another time we saw it was it 2012, maybe, with LeBron James in game mm-hmm. one or game yep. two with mm-hmm. the bag cramps. And he had to get yep. carried off in the locker room and then came back. So Willie Reed, being Willie Reeded, I guess you could say, is a very common thing in, in basketball. I'm sure it's happened in college and high school you know, on multiple levels too, uh, for big games from that level. But uh, those are the two NBA moments with Paul Pierce and LeBron James coming back. But yeah. it, the, the big first story was Willie Reed doing that. And uh, Willie Reed is a champion for that yeah. organization. Uh, New York Knicks, so hard to play in New York, so hard to play in Los Angeles because of the spotlight mm-hmm. on you. But Willie Reed did it. He delivered a championship, two championships for that organization. So I'd be a fool not to have Willie Reed, at least in my top two of lefty, lefty players. And the New York Knicks haven't won a championship since. And, and the so, New York Knicks have not won a championship since. since. Sorry, yep. Stephen A. And that Sorry. is, and that is not a, uh, if there is not a more glowing um, phrase of a player, it is that he was so good that um, the entire success of that franchise has not been the same since he's left. So that's a pretty glowing review. Yeah, um, and that's a great time. answer. That's a great answer. That's 48 years ago, Sean. Mm-hmm. So a uh, couple of our lifetimes uh, away. <laughs> a few, yeah. a few yeah, of our lifetimes. Put, if you put our ages together, that is how long it's been since the New York Knicks have won a championship. Nuts. Yep. Unreal. So my third player on my Mount Rushmore of all time three point or not three pointers uh, NBA left-handers is Isaiah Thomas yeah. Isaiah Thomas not Zeke not Zeke. not Zeke not Zeke I'm talking I'm talking left-handed five foot eleven University of Washington drafted 60th of 60 in the NBA draft um back in 2011 I think Two-time All-Star, career shortened due to injury. I will never in my life forget where I was when I watched Isaiah Thomas come out and score 40 on the night of what was supposed to be his late sister's birthday. Um, Isaiah Thomas, we can, you know, we can make jokes about the Brinks truck, backing up the Brinks truck. We can talk about his Cavaliers days and how terrible the trade it was for them to trade away Kyrie for Isaiah Thomas and all that stuff. We can make those references all we want. But Isaiah Thomas, for the brief time that he hit his prime and for the brief time that he was truly hitting stride, in my opinion, had one of the best primes of any player in the past 10 years. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. That 2017 year, 2016, 2017 mm-hmm. year, he averaged 31 points a game. Yeah, he was. That's Michael Jordan numbers, man. Yeah, this guy was out there playing a tall man's game um, as the league is getting increasingly more positionless. It requires you to at least be 6'4", 6'6", to be extremely successful. 
He's five uh, nine, Sean. He's five nine. He's the he is the height of my dad. I said five eleven <laughs> earlier, and that was giving him too much credit. <laughs> An inch um, taller than my mom, and maybe three inches from my girlfriend. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So the fact that the fact that this guy was not only able to be good in the NBA, but to be a two time All Star, to be the franchise player of the Boston Celtics, um, this guy. Uh, this guy came out and he made an impact on the game in the brief time that he was, that he was great. And ultimately I hope, um, you know, I just hope for that guy's health. I hope he gets the opportunity um, to earn the, earn the, the living that he was supposed to earn the paycheck that he was supposed to get um, gave it all to the Boston Celtics um, and um, is uh, one of the sad stories of how he got betrayed by that franchise, but ultimately, um, I think will be remembered fondly not only by Boston fans but by NBA fans alike because of everything that he did for the game in his brief time in the limelight. So, Isaiah Thomas is a more than worthy, uh, more than worthy candidate to be on that Mount Lefty. Yeah, there's nothing else to say besides that, Sean. Isaiah Thomas was so fun to watch. And, and to think he was picked last. I mean, you look at the NBA draft from normally picks 50 to 60. A lot mm-hmm. of those are people overseas. A lot of those players, Sean, mm-hmm. never touch an NBA court ever. Mm-hmm. And for the 60th player, the last pick in the draft to be an MVP, to be traded for, by yeah. the way, the first pick in the draft that year. That was 2012, by the way. That was an 11, like I said. Maybe yeah, that's a good point. That. But the first pick was traded for the last pick of that same draft, 2012. That is a very good point. And they were seen as somewhat uh, – as Mere as, images. Yeah, not equal value, but the best you can get in return, mm-hmm. which wasn't far off at the time. So, unreal. Absolutely unreal. But Troy – we have to finish that last spot. Who is number one? On number one on my Mount Rushmore, AKA, in my opinion, the best left-handed player of all time. I have a, I have a name for this and it has to be this player. Otherwise we're about to get a debate, but go ahead. The MVP of the 1995 NBA season. Wow. Two time NBA champion. Wow. All-Star, the Admiral, David Robinson. Wow. Are we fighting, Sean? So, okay. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with that is an absolute worthy candidate. David Robinson was a, was a great NBA player. Are you going to tell me that you made an NBA Mount Rushmore of the best left-handed players of all time and you left James Harden off of your list? Sean? Did you smoke crack before we started this podcast? Sean? So. This is non-current players list. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Forgot to mention that earlier, but no, this is this is retired players. Um, yeah, David Robinson. 
uh david robinson uh back to david robinson we'll we'll go we'll go how about you just make number one james harden on your list maybe it already wasn't but maybe it was it already was but go ahead we'll we'll talk about james harden in about three minutes uh, but david ahead. robinson um the admiral you know he played uh let's see here i think 14 years in the nba um he was a guy that uh played in the navy uh, uh, for, for college basketball drafted number one overall in the late eighties, you know, when mm-hmm. uh, Larry bird and magic Johnson era was slowly, slowly coming to an end. Uh, piss bad boy pistons were coming up. So he was a rookie when all that was going on. And uh, he was great, very consistent player. So consistent in everything that he did. He was, he was, yeah. he was, I, he, he was great. He, he was Mr. Consistent. You could have called him the Admiral. Uh, you know, he won two championships with uh, the San Antonio Spurs in 1999 and in 2003. Uh, both great teams, great, great teams. That 99 team beat the Knicks, I believe. Uh, Patrick Ewing just hammered them, absolutely hammered them for the first um, championship for the Spurs uh, organization, which really we saw how many more to come, six, six to come mm-hmm. after that. So, um David Robinson was a part of that, that legacy. And at that point in time, 1999, he was the best player on that team. He was better than Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was a rookie that year uh, or, or a second year player. Um, so I think David Robinson led that organization on, on a strong note for years to come. I mean, think about it, Sean. 2014, seven years ago, the Spurs were on top. And that was still yeah. a team consisted of Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. So David Robinson really led that team strong. And that was, of course, 1999, the year after Michael Jordan and mm-hmm. uh, the Bulls beat the Jazz in 98. Uh, uh, his first year out of official retirement, official, official, not, you know, baseball years and not before the Wizards, but when, when he played his last game for Chicago. And that Spurs team uh, beat the Knicks that year. And then in 2003 they beat the nets Uh, of course the pistons actually had the best record in the league that year and uh, we were swept in the eastern conference finals by the new jersey nets and but the san antonio spurs put a a good butt kicking into the new jersey nets uh, led Mm -hmm. led by the admiral um, david robinson and that was his last year in the league so he ended on a high note and not too many people can end their career as a champion Uh, and not just end the career as a, as a champion, but uh, to do it in the fashion that uh, David Robinson did was awesome. Uh, he was also rookie of the year in 1990. He was um, the lead leader in blocks in 1992. He was uh, the league leader in rebounds in 1991. He actually led the league, believe it or not, in scoring in 1994. Uh, I believe that was Michael Jordan's baseball year. So yeah. the fact that he was a, a big man, a lefty led the league in scoring. Um, number 50 will always hang in the Raptors in the San Antonio Spurs arena. Right, because so. David, David Robinson, uh, great player, just absolutely incredible. Love the Admiral. And uh, with my background, he's a you know strong Christian guy. And that, uh, that definitely means a lot to me. You know, there's quite a bit of videos of his testimony and just uh, everyone who knew David Robinson as a friend and as a teammate said he was the most humble, down-to-earth uh, excellent man to play with. So David Robinson, in my opinion, is number one because mm-hmm. you're not doing current players, Sean. Uh, you know, that is an important quantifier to add in there and debunks a third of my list, but that's totally fine. So um, <laughs> the Admiral David Robinson, 
is the most overlooked superstar in NBA history. And it's not even close because he's not flashy. He played during the 90s, uh, during the Michael Jordan era, which is what the 90s are known for. Uh, There were a lot of other great players in the 90s. There was a lot of other great things that happened in the 90s. But the 90s are always going to be known for Michael Jordan's Bulls. And that's just the way it is. But Mm -hmm. in the background, Admiral David Robinson was absolutely dominant. Um, Someone that in his brief time in the league, um, he was uh, overshadowed by Shaq for a little while there. Um, But the reality of it is, you know, he won a championship. He helped uh, build that Spurs culture and um, mentored a young Tim Duncan and um, I think gave us one of the greatest, uh, one of the more dominant finals teams that we don't talk about. That 99 Spurs team was pretty dominant, especially with David Robinson and Tim Duncan. So, um, yeah, that guy's pretty good. Um, I can't really dispute that. And uh, as, and, and, you know, as someone that also shares your background, um, you know, to talk about someone that is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, my guy, James Harden, who uh, is known less, uh, less of, about his time spent in the sanctuary of a church and is more spent in a strip club. James Harden. <laughs> um James Harden is absolutely going to go down as the best left-handed player of all time. Um, He is the most dominant. He's one of the most dominant scorers in NBA history. I think right now you can make the case that he is the best one-on-one scorer in the history of the league. No doubt. Um, James Harden, he, uh, he he made the step back three what it is today. He made the um, he made the Euro step. He, he really like the Euro step was already a thing, but he brought it to prominence. Um, his ability to create contact, manipulate contact, and draw fouls is one of the reasons why he's as unstoppable as he is. Um, I believe this time next year we are going to be talking about James Harden as an NBA champion, and yeah. I am that and I am that bold on it that I would bet on it now. And I also believe that James Harden is an underrated defender as well. Because when you watch him, when he tries, he's a great defender. Mm-hmm. He's, so he doesn't try very it. often, though, Sean. <laughs> that, but here's the thing. He doesn't have to. That's how good his offense is. Is because yeah. whatever you do on the, when he's on defense, if you go down and score two, he'll either go get that two right back or he's going to put up a three. By that point, you're already down, right? So right. that's the thing about James Harden. And, like, listen, say what you will about um, how he ended in Houston. Say what you will about who he is as with his character. I completely understand. I am by no means um, the advocate of, of the morality of James Harden. I don't think that this is the conversation to have. And quite frankly, I don't think we know any of these guys well enough to make any of those judgments. But what I can say is that what I do know is that whenever I watch James Harden play basketball, he both gives it his all each and every night. And he goes out there and he puts up either a statistic or a play that you're going to remember. And that's the thing about James Harden is that he plays every game 
for as many minutes as humanly possible and barring injury is going to go out there and give it 110% and he's going to do something dominant that night. And that's the thing about James Harden that I'm going to remember. Yeah. Uh, the journey of James Harden too is pretty cool with uh, just being, you know, six man of the year early yeah. on in his career with OKC leading them to a finals. Um they you know, he was, he was a guy that was seen as a very good role player and yeah. uh, definitely a starter on any other team in the league. But like when, when Houston got him in the 2012, 2013 season, uh, it I, you know, I, I never really thought anything of it besides he's going to, you know, definitely probably be the best player on that team. And, you know, maybe be an all-star if he's lucky. And uh, what he did in his um, eight year career in Houston outstanding i mean the dribble back step back pull up three uh get into the hole runner on the left you know block james harden could do it all james harden (laughs) scoring 50 points is is like nothing like he's a score he's not necessarily a shooter but he's a score he puts the ball in the hoop Um, better than anyone like you said literally better than anyone and here's the thing you just said he's not much of a shooter, which is true, but he's an amazing shooter. Yeah. But that's the yeah. thing. Like he's less known for his shooting and more for his scoring. But the thing is, is that the way that he does it, he's just elite at every level. Right. He can, he and he's not a spot up shooter. That That's what Correct. I think most people Correct. think of when they Correct. hear the word shooter, that they're a spot yeah. up. But he, yeah, of course he can hit the three. His three point percentage is fine. Um, he is, however, a pull up shooter. Yeah, the best pull-up shooter in the league, other than Steph Curry. Yeah, I will. I will agree with that. I will agree yeah. with that. A flopper too, one of the best floppers. Hey, and that is a whole other absolutely. <laughs> well, Troy, I actually really like this segment, and uh, I'm glad we did it. Uh, but now it's time to go down from Mount Rushmore, and it's time to head back to half court, baby. All right, we are back, and it is time for the topic of the show. Uh, most important thing on our minds right now, on any Pistons fans' minds right now, on any NBA fans' mind right now, because the fortune of your franchise can change. All it takes is one pick. And this Thursday, there's going to be 60 new NBA players entering the league, getting their, uh, getting their bearings, joining their franchises, discovering their fates. The NBA draft is coming up and there are a lot of storylines and a lot of things heading into it. And the most important is what's going to happen at the first overall pick. Now, at this time, there have not been any trades. The Detroit Pistons have the first pick. And if reports are, uh, if, if they are to be believed, it would be suggested that the Detroit Pistons are going to keep that pick. So before we go into conversation, I'm just going to share some of the news and the things that we have learned about the first overall pick, okay? So the Detroit Pistons have been adamant that they are going to complete the process. They're going to leave no stone unturned. They're going to look in depth at those top four players, those top four prospects in the draft. And even though the consensus number one pick is Cade Cunningham, reports suggest tweeted from Adrian Wojnarowski uh, on Monday, July 26th, 
Detroit's internal meetings are still revolving around three players for the number one pick on Thursday night. Those three players are Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley. Sources tell ESPN. Detroit isn't fully there yet on committing to Cunningham with their first overall choice, which sent a lot of Twitter into a spiral. But we'll talk about why you're not going to freak out about that here in a second. But there is also the reality that the uh, that another story has come out today, and uh, I'm I'm having a hard time finding who the source of this is. So I would like to preference um, I would like to preface um, this. Um, it looks like it's according to Matt Babcock, who is an NBA draft analyst. According to Matt Babcock, who uh, uh, it looks like he is verified. Take this with a grain of salt, okay? Because this isn't this hasn't been revealed to be real. This is something that's been reported. So rumor has it that the Oklahoma City Thunder wanted to trade up to one so badly that they offered the Detroit Pistons the number six pick in the draft and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is the current franchise cornerstone of the Oklahoma City Thunder, in exchange for the number one pick. And if reports are to be believed, the Detroit Pistons declined. So, Troy, there's a lot of news there. Uh, There's a lot of developments. And there's a lot of time between now and Thursday at 8. When Thursday at 8 o'clock hits and the number one pick is on the the clock, who's picking and who's getting selected? (laughs) Uh, Number one is going to be our Detroit Pistons. Mm -hmm. We are going to draft... The Oklahoma State point guard, six foot eight, Cade Cunningham. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And listen, I, I, I just Troy, if it's okay, I just need a, I just need a quick twenty seconds to vent, if that's okay. Yeah, because I'll probably get a thirty second uh, segment to vent. Go ahead. <laughs> Any NBA fan right now that is looking at the Detroit Pistons and is saying that they're stupid. Um, that they're making a mistake, that they're being dumb. I want you to contemplate something for a second, okay? The last time the Detroit Pistons had a top three pick in a draft was 2003, which, by the way, is the last time that we had a draft that was considered to have these many great prospects, right? And in that draft, the Detroit Pistons – after LeBron James went first overall, selected Darko Milicic, okay? Here's the thing. If your franchise is known for repeatedly getting draft picks wrong or mishandling draft picks, and then all of a sudden, after all of this darkness they've had, after years of being in the gutter as a franchise, you want them to not look at every prospect available and just choose the guy you like. Where's the consistency in that? Where's right. the intelligence in that? Yeah. Here's the thing. Is that pick going to be Cade Cunningham? Absolutely. But guess what? They have a job to do. And, and they're not just looking at who these guys are now. They're looking at who they think these guys are going to be going forward. And one of the things that's talked about with this group is the, the upside of the likes of Jalen Green, the upside of the likes of Evan Mobley. Guess what? The upside of Cade Cunningham is pretty dang special. 
So, Cade Cunningham is going to be the pick. Absolutely. And you're right to feel that way. But listen, man, if you, if you truly think that you just assume it's going to be that guy and that in the franchise, they're just playing ping pong all the time, they're not even looking at the other guys, you need to understand how basketball works, what the inner workings of, of a front office are. Because if you think it's just making these trade machines on ESPN.com and, pl- <laughs> and scrolling on Twitter to see what people are saying, you are out of your mind. Correct. Out of your mind. You are an idiot. Yeah. And it, it's just like, of course, he's the best player in the draft. Of course, he's the best player in college basketball last year. Of course, he's going to be the number one pick. Yes, yes, yes. We know that. But mm-hmm. there's still guys in this draft who are going to be all-stars. You still mm-hmm. need to take them into consideration. You still need to give them the respect that they deserve too. Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. Like, bring those guys in. Even if you do still plan on cha- drafting Cade. Like, it's foolish to think that it's foolish to think that your pick is going to be a guy when, and you don't even consider anyone else, right? It's foolish to think that you're so locked in because ESPN mock draft told you, you should be that you're not going to look at all the options when you have just because people on Twitter photoshopped Cade in the Pistons Jersey. Yep. That means that's final. Right. What? Yeah. Right. And I, I, I would challenge an organization uh, and, and we've seen this before. We've talked about this last time on the podcast. An organization like the Philadelphia 76ers, right? Back in 2017, had the first pick. It was just concede, you know, the consensus was Markel Fultz be the first pick. Now, I don't know if they brought in Lonzo. I really don't know. Jason Tatum. I don't know if those guys were brought in for workouts, but they should have spent a lot more time thinking, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They should have taken a pretty look at Jason Tatum. Yeah, scout, like those, seriously. Those scouts should have taken a good look at Donovan Mitchell. I remember too. I was at, so this was in 2019. I was at a restaurant in Marquette with uh, one of my good buddies and the assistant coach for Northern Michigan universities was a couple tables behind us. And this was a very empty restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we were just talking a little bit with him, you know, about it was, it was the, the Raptors and Bucks uh, finals. Eastern Conference Finals, and we we're just talking about the game a little bit. And then there's a commercial break. And we got going on the draft, the 2019 draft. And he was from Chicago, and he's like, "Yo, I know we're picking Cam Reddish, even though Cam Reddish went to Atlanta." He's like, "Yo, I think we're picking Cam Reddish on the Bulls, this and that." And I was like, "So, what do you think about Zion?" And he's like, "Zion's a great player, but guess what? He's he's like, mark my words, you guys." John Morant would be the best player in this draft, not Zion Williamson. We're like, come on, man, dude, Zion. There was a Zion camera in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Dude, Zion, what are you talking about? John Morant from Murray State, right? Well, guess what happened? John Morant was. Why? Because he's obviously the whole time was the best player in the draft. But ESPN, uh, NBA fans, college basketball fans were drooling over Zion. It just made him be the first pick. You You know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know if the Pelicans invite a job for a workout or whatever, but there's just so much of draft day and drafting where it seems like the AKA quote unquote sexy players always get taken before the better players because of their reputation. I think of even back in 2011, um, Jimmer Fredette should not have been a top 10 player uh, in that draft, but he was. Because mm-hmm. of, I mean, he was the, you know, Nathan Smith's basketball player of the year that year. He, um, but he was not a top 10 player. He got picked over Clay Thompson 
because of the quote unquote sexiness of his game. Jimmer Fredette was out of the league in, in four years. Clay Thompson, arguably one of the best, at least top six shooters of all time, top five shooters of all time. Now, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I agree with your point. And I certainly, I, I think you are articulating it really well. The one reservation that I would have is um, John Morant is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think right now he is most certainly the better player at the time. However, I still think the ceiling of Zion is higher. And here's the thing. This is a conversation that we are going to be having for years to come, right? Yeah, right sure. now, I think it's too early to say that, that the Pelicans made the wrong choice. Because even with what we know right now, I would still take Zion at number one solely because of his upside. Now, here's to your point. When I go to the guy that was obviously better, my example I look at, I go to 2007, right? There were two guys. There there were two prospects that this draft was built around. And those two guys were Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. 2000. Eight, yeah, seven. Eight, seven. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yep, 2007. Right. Yep. Seven, yeah. I have it in front of me, young man. Anyway, <laughs> see, I'm doing all this without notes, Sean. I'm doing all this without notes. Go ahead. Go ahead with your notes. Yeah, I know. How dare I be prepared? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, 2007. Right. Greg Monroe and Kevin Durant were considered the top two prospects. Not and Greg Monroe, Greg Oden. <laughs> Greg Oden. Yeah, what's, what's the difference? What's the difference, really? right? Yeah. From Ohio State University, the Buckeyes. Uh-huh. Yeah, Georgetown is like Ohio State of the East. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Greg Oden was considered the consensus number one pick. He played, how many games did he play in his career, Troy? Take a guess. I'm going to guess 90 tops. 105. Yeah. So Greg Oden was the consensus number one pick. I remember what's the one, what's the one sportscaster, the guy that you, what's his name? He, he made a good Raptors uh, when the Raptors won the championship. He remember you sent me that video where you compare and like going to the grocery store versus like picking out free agents. Remember what I'm talking about? Not at all. Okay. Anyways, a very, a very prominent sportscaster who I'm blanking on doesn't work for ESPN. Um, said that you would be a fool to take Kevin Durant number one over Greg Oden. By the way, mm-hmm. was it Skip Bayless? No. Okay, because uh, that just sounds like a Skip Bayless take. Anyway, um, <laughs> Greg Oden was the consensus, and everyone thought he was going to be a star, and Kevin Durant was the player that they had a little bit more of reservations on. Well, Kevin Durant turned out to be Kevin Durant, um, who if, if Portland could go back and do this draft again, they would absolutely take Kevin Durant 20 mm-hmm. times out of 10. Greg Oden, a lot of it not his fault. Injury ultimately came down, uh, came down to it. But here's the thing. Even if injuries were a factor... There is not a world that Greg Oden gets drafted above Kevin Durant again. With the information that we know, there is not a world that that happens. Which, by the way, this is also the draft that the Pistons drafted Rodney Stuckey, but that is not the point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Ultimately, it's the point that the number one pick comes with a lot of luxury because you get to choose first. However, the number one pick comes with the most pressure because you better be right. Because if you're wrong, 
not only are you allowing the, the other teams to capitalize, but you don't know when you're going to get the opportunity to get that kind of player again. Correct. Pistons didn't probably didn't think it was going to be 51 years when they drafted Bob Lanier in 1970 that they would have the chance again. Right. Right. They probably didn't think in 2003 that it would be 18 years before they got to draft in the top five again, let alone the top, top three. three, let yeah. alone the number one pick. <laughs> so the thing is, is that Cade Cunningham is absolutely the pick. He is absolutely a stud. But if you think for a second that this Detroit franchise can afford to just assume that he is the guy and to not do their due diligence and to not look, because here's the thing, Jalen Green can absolutely be a star in this league. Evan Mobley, I think he might be. Evan Mobley can absolutely be a star in this league. Cade Cunningham, in my opinion, is going to be a superstar in this league. Yeah. But if we're wrong, we don't know when we're going to be back in this situation. Right. So, right. but at the end of the day, we have no choice but to draft Cade. It's absolutely Cade. Having said all that, Pistons fans, calm down. Uh, there is no chance that this tra- that this pick gets traded, and if it does, it's going to be for a haul that's worth it. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to happen. So it, it's not going to happen. So listen, man, trust in Troy Weaver, trust in Dwayne Casey. They have been saying this entire time. If you look at interviews, if you look at press conferences, if you ask them, if you even say, "Hey, how about that, Cade Cunningham?" They would say, "Yeah." These four prospects are nuts. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. never once showed their hand and they're not going to show their hand until Thursday at eight o'clock. The yeah. earliest and- you're going to learn that he's the guy is Thursday afternoon when Woj sends out a tweet saying that the Pistons drafted Kate Cunningham. Go right. Ahead, Troy. And- yeah, yeah, I think I think that's all great. And two, like not only bringing in the guys for the workouts, but um listening to other teams trade options not that we trade the pick Mm -hmm. um but but bringing them all in and by the way the the guy that i was talking about with the um with the greg odin uh obvious first pick Mm -hmm. over kevin durant that would be colin coward (laughs) Ah, oh my goodness what a guy but anyway yeah this draft um the the timeline Today, people, y'all got to be better um, because just straight up, there's there is nothing that's more infuriating to me uh, than all of the people on the on the internet that claim to know the inner workings of the front office and clearly have no clue what they're talking about. So, and Rockets thing- fan, we talked about that for a second. Rockets fans feeling entitled to this pick too, right? After what they did with Harden's career, right? Just give us, dude. They were in the conference finals a few years ago. Like, like <laughs> we got the first pick. You did not let us draft Cade. Let us draft Cade, Rockets fans. This is Troy yeah. talking to you. Let us draft Cade. So, so listen, man. So that's another thing, um, Rockets fans. Uh, and this this could be a whole other conversation. To be honest, I don't even want to give much oxygen to this because it's not worth it. Um, the, D, the, the, the Houston Rockets, um, a lot of their fans, the majority of their fans have been fine. If you go on their subreddit 
they seem to be happy that they're getting Jalen Green. And they look excited. And you know what? For those Rockets fans, I'm happy for you. I hope Jalen Green turns out to be an absolute stud. But to those of you that feel that Cade Cunningham is still going to be a Houston Rocket, you are going to be very disappointed come Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Because I can tell you right now, with absolute confidence, and here's the thing, if this does, if, if they, if somehow Houston comes up with this trade package that, that, uh, that sways Detroit, or if Detroit just for some reason decides to go with someone else, um, and we're just proven wrong, I think we're going to be mind blown. But I can tell you right now, Houston Rockets fans, you are not getting Cade Cunningham. And that is all we got to say on the fact. And here's the thing. I would like to now go through and uh, just go through our top five players, uh, the mock draft of the top five order in this NBA draft, because there are a lot of implications of what this means for the league moving forward. And I think that uh, it's worth talking about. Uh, by the way, Troy, you and me are going to be at the draft party on Thursday in Detroit. Yeah, I'll be there, Sean. Looking forward uh-huh. to it. Looking forward to spending this uh, really once in a generation uh, moment with uh, a couple thousand Pistons fans at Little Caesars oh, yeah, man. Just Arena. Wouldn't miss it for the world. So go Pistons, me. man. Yeah, You and me and our buddies Robert and his brother Hunter will be celebrating in Detroit. I'm super excited. And uh, yeah. I think uh, I think you and I are just going to have a warm embrace and hug over yes. how excited we are. And uh, <laughs> I hope we're going to be there opening night, man. That's going to yeah, be Yeah, that would be another fun one to do. Absolutely. So with that, let's go through the top five players in this draft, shall we? So let's with the first, so be ready to hear these words on Thursday at eight o'clock. You ready? Do 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 do. With the first pick. In the 2021 NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham, point guard from the University of Oklahoma State. Cade Cunningham, currently not 20 years old, is going to be one of the stars of this league. Detroit, if you had to summarize it in a couple sentences, uh, what do you think his impact in Detroit is going to be? I think his his impact in Detroit is going to be made known from day one. I think Cade Cunningham is going to be a guy who's going to come into that organization. He is going to be the rookie of the year. I think he's going to probably lead the team in, in assists. Uh, could be mm-hmm. top two uh, in, in scoring um, for the team. I <laughs> Sky's the limit. Like, literally, sky's the limit with this guy. You know, I we play a nice game of uh, worst-cased – probable case and best case scenario for players worst case middle case best case yep yeah yeah and uh i think as we talked about our our probably worst case scenario is a a detroit pistons jeremy grant someone who you know maybe is borderline all-star level but maybe never quite makes that hump over Mm -hmm. uh our our probable case scenario i mean he runs the show very similar to to a jason tatum kind of guy He's mm-hmm. able to score in the post. He's able to score a three-point shot, pass the ball phenomenally, get to mm-hmm. the hole, and be the best player on a playoff team. So I think uh, the the probable case scenario for uh, Cade Cunningham is going to be a similar to Jason Tatum type player. Uh, absolute best case scenario for Cade Cunningham, Luka Doncic, Magic Johnson, uh, peak, peak, peak Dwayne Wade. Um, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a generational type player. Troy, 
I want you to I want you to remind the people. I want you to educate the people. When we had this conversation, what did I say was Kate Cunningham's best case, best case scenario? Yes. Um Sean Murphy's best case scenario for Kate Cunningham was peak LeBron James. And I stand by it. And here's the thing. I, I, I very well could be wrong. So I'm comparing him to the second best player of all time. But I'm confident in Cade. Real quick, Troy, does Cade win MVP in his career? Yes or no? Yes. All right. I like it. Cade Cunningham, future MVP of the league. And then we go to the Houston Rockets at two. And you're going to hear the following on Thursday night. With the second pick, second with the second pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, shooting guard, G League Ignite. Jalen Green, I think, is the most boom or bust prospect in this draft. I think he has absolute scoring ability. I think he can jump out of the gym. I think he is speedy fast. Probably the fastest player in the league coming into the league. But pretty raw. Pretty raw in certain areas. His shooting is not consistent. I think there's a lot to be excited about in a Jalen Green. But there's also a lot to be hesitant about. And I think that's the case with any prospect outside of Kate Cunningham. What do you think, Troy? Yeah, it's fine. That's that's a very fair assessment. I do think um, I'm probably a little more on the board that Jalen Green probably is going to be a hit, but I definitely see all the negative case scenarios of him being a miss. Um, he's very. I, I think he's. I think he's going to be a hit too. But yeah. I'm just saying, if there is a if there is a case where a player is a bust in this draft, I think the first person you could possibly look at is Jalen Green. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say Jalen Green is a guy, um, my biggest NBA comparison, probably leaning towards the probable borderline best case scenario is Denver Nuggets version of uh, Kamala Anthony. I, I mean, like a guy him. who can definitely give you 20, 25 a night, potentially, maybe even, you know, seven, eight years down the road top two, maybe top one, even score in the league that that's his probably highest upside, but he's a guy that can put the ball on the hole and um, right. Scoring is mm-hmm. kind of the game, right? <laughs> the, yeah. the team with the most points wins and Jalen green can score for you. And uh, if I was a Rockets fan, I would be very content with Jalen green going number two, 100%. Um, but yes, the, the, the his length, his his the, if you look at his legs, they're a little scary of just how skinny and I don't know I don't know how he's going to measure up against other players of his size in the league. But um, like I said, he's a scorer. He is a scorer, 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 and that's what NBA teams need. So he's currently listed at 185 pounds. Yeah. Oh my he's goodness. Going to have we'll to add on some muscle. He sure will have to. Yep, but he will. He will. Mm-hmm. So the next pick, which by the way, um, I might add is if I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm grateful I snuck into the top three, but I'm not grateful that I have to have to make this selection because it's hard because I think with, I think, I think they have to take the best player available, but I don't think at this spot that there is a player that just fits like a glove in their situation. 
Um, I personally don't like uh, this player playing alongside Jared Allen. I personally think they have a crisis in their backcourt with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So I don't think drafting a guard is a good thing for them either. So their best case scenario and what is going to happen is with the third pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select Evan Mobley center from USC. Now this guy is going to come into the league. He's going to be used as a, as a center. He's going to be put at power forward as well. Um, the, I did not like Evan Mobley as a prospect up until a week ago. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't. And the, the, the thing is, is I just didn't want him to be a Detroit. That's all. I just didn't see enough of that star upside as a score to make me believe that he could be a star. But what I will say is immediately what he is going to give you is going to be just some defensive versatility. And he is athletic as heck, man. He, he can guard all five positions. He can guard in the perimeter and he can run to the rim. And at the end of the day, that's what you need out of a modern big man. So take the best player available, get yourself a guy like Evan Mobley. If I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm running the bank, grabbing that and going home. But I'm going to have to think a lot about what I want this roster to be moving forward. Yeah, Evan Mobley, um, probably a guy that will impact your team positively. I could definitely see him being uh, first team all rookie, um, if not second team all rookie for sure. Uh, he's a guy that will probably get you, uh, at least, you know, maybe 10 or 11 points a game your rookie year and maybe, you know, eight or nine rebounds. Um, but I don't know if his ceiling's very high, Sean. Um, he's a, he's a player that's good. I, I think he, he can impact a a team, uh, the Cavs team, maybe to a degree, but, Mm -hmm. uh, the Cavs need to do something this year. Uh, you know, of course, five years ago, they won the NBA finals 2016 with LeBron James, but that team has really deteriorated since, uh, of course, LeBron James left and Kyrie Irving and really Kevin Love. Is that really our, the last member from that championship team? Mm -hmm. I believe so. So, I mean, they're definitely in a rebuild year. Rebuilding for a while now. Rebuilding for a while now. Rebuilding for a while now. So I think something has to happen this year as far as uh, they need to be competing for a playing spot um, as far as what their fan base wants them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a team that a lot of eyes are going to be on them this year and not necessarily because they have potential, but just because – it's about time. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think Cavs fans are very happy with the direction the organization is going. Um, if I'm a Cavs fan, I better have a lot of faith in Evan Mobley, but Troy Sergi as a Pistons fan, I don't think I do. Can I ask you a legitimate question? Yeah. So you just said something, mm-hmm. and it kind of made me pause because mm-hmm. you you said a lot of Cavaliers fans do not like the, the direction that the Cleveland Cavaliers are going. Yeah. And I want to ask a follow-up question to that. Okay. Do we know what direction they're going? That's the like, point, do, Sean. That's like, the here's point. the thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing because here it is, man. They don't have a vision. They are just taking what they can get. Right. Yeah. And, they're, they're getting rookies and playing them big minutes and hoping but, that they can lead them to the yeah, promise. But, but like, 
but there's no vision of what that's going to like. I mean, obviously you're like, well, we want it to be a winning basketball team, but like what kind, you know what I mean? Because like you just, at the end of the day, yes, you take whoever the best player is available, but you don't have a, you don't like, who's their franchise player right now. I couldn't tell you Uh, who's their, who's their guy they're billing around. Who's the guy that, you know, who's what's what on the Cleveland Cavaliers roster do I look at and go, that's a promising future. Because if you think your franchise player is Colin Sexton, his, he's in trade rumors everywhere. If you think your direction is Darius Garland, who to me is a poor man, CJ McCollum at best. Um, if your future is Jared Allen, which he's not the future because he's not an offensive player. What about um, Isaac Okoro? And then you have Evan Mobley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> and then like you have Evan Mobley who's going to come in to this situation. I think he's going to fit nice in like pick and roll situations with a guy like Colin Sexton or Darius Garland, whichever one is still there. And I think you're going to see some nice things out of that. But like, listen, man, they need to shake up the front office. They need change from the top down because here's, here's the bottom of the line, man. Uh, Bottom, the, the point I'm making, holy cow, I can't talk for someone that's doing a podcast. It's not good. Uh, But the point is, the Cleveland Cavaliers, outside of LeBron James, have been a joke. And this is not going to change. Evan Mobley, I I wish you the best. I hope you succeed. I think the cards are stacked against you in Cleveland, my guy. And that's just, that's just the bottom line. Yeah. I, I, I don't dispute that. Cavs are lucky to get the top three pick too, by the way. Yeah. 100%. Uh, real quick, Troy, of those top three players, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, how many of them are all stars? Two. So Jalen Green and Cade. Yeah. I agree with that. I think Evan Mobley can be an all-star. Oh yeah. I'm not saying he won't be. I'm just saying Who's going to be an all-star? Those two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, those are those are the surefire all-stars right there. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the number four pick, Toronto Raptors, another team that's lucky to be drafting where they're at. Yeah. And with the and with the fourth pick, and this has been literally the, I think this is the most concrete pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Absolute slam dunk. With the fourth pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Toronto Raptors select Jalen Suggs of Gonzaga. And it's not even a question. Like, there's not even much to talk about. Listen, um, Raptors get their replacement to Kyle Lowry, and they get a great one at that. Jalen Suggs is very similar to Kyle Lowry. I think he's a better athlete. I think he's a heck of a leader. I think he's a tenacious defender. I think he's a good scorer. I think uh, I think I think Jalen Suggs is going to be a really good point guard for the Toronto Raptors, and I think gives them something to build off of. So, Toronto, congratulations! You're getting yourself a stud. Yeah, and really, I don't that know if he's, I don't know if he's ahead. ever an all-star. By the way, I don't know. He could be. He very, he very well could be. But uh, yeah, Jalen Suggs is a star. Go ahead. Yeah, no matter all-star or not, he's going to be an impact player, and um, we, he's a winner too. He's a winner, Gonzaga mm-hmm. baby, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that that's another upside that I feel like teams don't necessarily take into consideration uh, a lot as much as I would if I was a GM of who, who wins basketball games, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who's been a part of programs with uh, identity and culture? Uh, that's an important thing to bring into uh, to your team. 
And yep. uh, Jalen Suggs has that. Um, Jalen Suggs is a guy that will impact the Toronto Raptors, like I said, positively. Um, but really the organization of Toronto, really, we've talked about the just kind of downfall the past couple of years with them. Of course, they won the finals two years ago in 2019. Mm-hmm. But really since then, no identity, no really culture. And they got right. the fourth pick in the draft this year. Um, it, it, it's amazing. It, it's kind of sad how much they fall. I mean, we beat them twice this year, Sean Pistons. Yeah, um, but I, listen, man, I, I have a hard time. I, I am hard pressed to feel, to feel remorse for a franchise that got one of the most magical finals runs in the history of the league, got Kawhi Leonard for a rental. And, um, and listen, man, they, with Jalen Suggs coming in, um, I think they're a playoff team this year. Ooh. I think Pascal Siakam has a bounce back year. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the backcourt of Jalen Suggs and Fred Van Vliet is a solid backcourt. I think Jalen Suggs comes in and gives you, gives you, you know, 12 points a game, five assists, steal or two. I think he comes in and is more than serviceable as a starting point guard in this league. I think, uh, I think Toronto Raptors back in Canada, I think they come in and I think that they come back and show you why they're the Toronto Raptors. Well, yeah, a little more of an upside than my take, but I don't, I don't, I can't argue with that, Sean. That's uh, it's a good take. And I love Siakam. So I hope, I hope you're right about that. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they're the, I think he's the most likely of the top five to reach the playoffs. Yeah. I think, I think, sure. uh, I, I think Cade can certainly reach the playing game. I think, uh, I, I think, you know, uh, the Rockets, I think they're the farthest away of any Me team Absolutely. just because they just blew it up. Um, I think the Cavaliers, um, I don't think they're making the playoffs this decade and I'm dead serious on that. Um, and I think the, and I think Toronto, I think they're just the, I think they're the most solid organization of these guys. And I think if anyone can figure it out, it's going to be Zion Ujiri. It's going to be Nick Nurse. It's going to be Jalen Suggs. It's going to be the Toronto Raptors. So um, congrats to them moving up into the top four and getting yourselves a point guard of the future. That's hard to find. And, uh, you know, perfect for Kyle Lowry's exit that you get Jalen Suggs, you know? Yeah, quick, 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 bouncing off of what you said uh, with Jalen Green and the Rockets probably being furthest away. Another team like the Cavaliers, not much of an identity yet, not much of a direction. They really just yeah. tanked by accident this year, by accident. Yeah, they, they, their hand was forced. They had to blow it up. Um, you know, I, I do I, I do wonder what it's going to be like for Jalen Green going into a situation with John Wall, Christian Wood, mm-hmm. um, so the likes of those guys. I think uh, – I hope he thrives, man, because I think Jalen Green – I like Jalen Green. Um, I might mm-hmm. not like the Houston Rockets right now, but I like Jalen Green. So <laughs> with that, the fifth pick, and this has been the one that has seen the most change – with the fifth pick in the 2021 NBA draft, it is currently being projected that the Orlando Magic are going to select Scotty Barnes, mm-hmm. small forward, power forward, Florida State. Now, um, it is interesting to note because um, for the longest time, the fifth prospect was Jonathan, Jonathan Kuminga, small forward, power forward of the G League Ignite. However, um, his shooting has kind of put him down. Uh, he's currently projected to go seventh to Golden State, which, hey, if you're Jonathan Kaminga, I consider that a win. 
But uh, Scotty Barnes of Florida State has seen uh, his projection skyrocket. Uh, Troy, what do you know about Scotty Barnes? Yeah, not a ton, to be honest with you, but I've seen a little bit of highlights, and uh, I see a lot of athleticism. And, um, I see a guy mm-hmm. who can really get to the hole and uh, score. Uh, I see I see an impact player. I don't know to what degree, but um, I guess, yeah. I mean, he's kind of one of those guys where you look at drafts in the past, uh, guys who have gone to that fourth, fifth, sixth spot. I think of if I wanted to give a little comparison from what I've seen a little bit of a maybe – a little bit less upside talented at the time of like a Harrison Barnes kind of guy. Would mm-hmm. you, uh, do you see that a little bit of comparison? Yeah. I kind of see like a, I kind of see like a Thaddeus Young. Sure. Comparison. Sure. I yeah. think like, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of the Patrick Williams effect of, of a guy who, um, who's getting a lot of praise and is really rising up the ranks. Um, can I be honest, Troy? Go ahead. I don't get it. I think um, I think he certainly is a is is a promising prospect. However, let's look over his one year with Florida State, shall we? Let's do it. He averaged ten points a game, <laughs> which, granted, college games a little different. Yeah, um, this guy is seen as more of a project than he is a prospect. <laughs> I, think, I think I think he is being drafted for his upside because if it's 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 sure as heck not for his current Impact. production. Yeah. yeah, sure as heck not for his current production because uh 10 points a game, uh four rebounds, four assists, 50% shooting. Yeah. So <laughs> ma- maybe not same different position, but uh-huh. I mean, could you say similar to like a Killian of last year for our team? Or Seku? So. How about a Seku? Maybe maybe a little more. Uh, I I think I think it's a little bit of a broad thing. I don't I don't see a lot of their games in him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here here's what I will say though, because uh, here's a couple statistics I want to go over and highlight. Um, first of all, ninety eight assists. Okay, ninety eight assists, fifty nine turnovers. Mm. Um, so that stands out in the Another college thing, game too. In the college game. Um, I mean, granted, he played in the ACC, which is a really difficult conference. Played against likes of Syracuse, Duke. I mean, yeah, he played all these studs, but still, stands out. Another thing that stands out is that he shot twenty-seven point twenty-seven point five percent from the three-point line, eleven of forty from the three. Yeah, you can't win a, at the next level. Listen, like man, that. he made eleven threes in his college career. Eleven. That is a red flag. Now. If he was going to any other situation, I would be more willing to look at Scotty Barnes and say, that's a stud. And, and I've seen the highlights. I've seen the dazzling passes. I, I'm going to be honest. I think he's more of a sexy pick than yeah. he is a good pick. Sure. And so um, I certainly think there's a lot of flash and there's a lot to look at that can give you some, give you some optimism and some hope. Um, but if I'm the Orlando Magic... I almost wonder if you need someone that's a little bit more of a surefire, surefire guy, you know, Um, I think, I think this team, I think very similar to Houston. um, They were not intending to be in this spot. Um, They were, their intentions were to make it to the playoffs, but obviously their season did not go how they expected. And so here they are now. 
And I think they're just trying to make the best of it. I think they're going to be back in the lottery next year. I think they could top, possibly be a top three pick next year. Um, but right now, I would not be super optimistic if Scotty Barnes is coming to your team. That's just me. I very well could be wrong. I wish that guy nothing but the best, but I don't get it. <laughs> that's, my, that's my rating. I don't get it. I'm not a scout. I haven't watched a lot of Scotty Barnes in college. I'm not going to pretend I did. But from what I've seen, I just don't see a top five guy. I'm sorry, I don't. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I guess I've, I've only watched enough and a, a little bit, and it's been enough to say, yeah, he's definitely an impact, sexy kind of player. But, yeah, right. I, is he the best? I don't know. But also, like – you, you go two spots down to Golden State at seven, and I wonder if there's even anyone on the board that can impact that team. Like, if I'm a Warriors fan, I'm I'm not happy with that spot. Yeah, it's an awkward spot to be in. I mean, they have the seventh and the 14th, and uh, they have, you know, they just are in this situation where um, part of the intrigue of getting that pick for Minnesota was the trade value that it could be. Um, the trade value of the pick was at its highest when we didn't know what the pick was. Yeah. That trade value plummeted now that we know what the pick is. <laughs> and that trade value will plummet even more if they actually draft someone there. So the thing that that's just how picks work, right? Yeah, of course it is. It's, of course it is. It's so it's like it's like a car, right? The the peak moment mm-hmm. for a car is when it's no miles and you drop yeah. a couple miles and the value goes down, and then sooner or later you got a hundred thousand miles on it. <laughs> for a year, for an entire year, this was the best prospect. Um, the best prospect. I mean, not the best prospect. The the highest rated asset in the league. From, the from seventh pick picks. of Golden yeah. State or Golden State's first round pick before well, the, 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 the Timberwolves first round pick that Golden State had the rights to. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. But now that we know what it is, that is obviously no longer the case. Mm-hmm. So um, if I'm Golden State, I say um, I would see what you can get in a trade, but otherwise um, I would plan on drafting someone that could be part of the future. Someone that can add some shooting and some three point, uh, some three and D abilities and i see what you can do to try to make a run but otherwise i think you're in a difficult situation in orlando i do not envy your spot either but they've been, we've been saying this it's a four it's a four guy draft and that drop from four to five there's a difference there mm-hmm. absolutely sean and really three has some some holes in it too <laughs> yeah exactly so um you know really it's all about i mean there's three guys in this draft evan mobley jalen green Cade cunningham any other year, these guys are a number one pick, but they're all in it together. So mm-hmm. there can only be one. Right. Uh, one thing's for sure. Um, I think, and, and this is just a prediction I'm going to make. So I'm feeling a little bold. Um, I think we're going to look back at this being the best draft since the 2003 draft. Ooh, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's just a take. I mean, that's, that's, that's a hot take, Sean, but I can't disagree with that take. There's, the there's only, no argument I can make against that take. The only other draft that you could make the argument is Donovan. Yeah. The, or the Donovan, I was going to say the Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum draft. Yeah. 2017. Okay. Yeah, 2017. I think that draft was incredible. 
Well, I would, I would have my, my, yes, I agree, Sean, but my other draft was uh, 2009 with Blake Griffin, James Harden, Steph Curry, Curry. Yep. Paul George. Kawhi Leonard. I suppose that draft is okay. No, Kawhi Leonard was 2011, right. I think. Yep. Yeah. yep, you're right. Yep, you're right. Hey, that draft is pretty good. So mm-hmm. uh, we've had some good drafts. I think it's going to be up there with them. Yeah, and even 2011, uh, Kemba, Clay Thompson, Kawhi, uh, who went number one that year? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, but hey, what we do know is that this Thursday, eight o'clock, you're not you're not going to want to miss that draft. No, it's um, going to be great. Yep, it's going to be a great night for the NBA. And as a Pistons fan, I couldn't be more excited. Mm-hmm. But with that, Amen, Troy. Sean. But with that, Troy, I think that's going to be the end of this week's episode from half court. Again, you can follow Troy at Troy 44 on Twitter. You can follow me at Shanye West. Be sure to leave a comment. Be sure to like, follow us on Twitter. Say who you think's going number one in the draft. And with that, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time from half court. 